Hello, Dustin. Hey, Kane. How's it going? Very well. Very well, thank you. Very well. How are you? Doing all right. I'm here in the office. There's not many people here in France. I don't know if this is a thing in the UK, but it's a very French thing, I think, where if you have a holiday on a Thursday or on a Tuesday, you do what they say, doing the bridge, which means you just don't come in on Friday or Monday. So <laughs> we're looking at a at a half empty or half full office, depending on how you look at it. Uh, the bridge, I like the concept of the bridge. That's um, that's pretty decent. So so it's a holiday now on a third. So it's a holiday yesterday, was it? Yeah. So we're we're on a Friday. It was a holiday on a Thursday, <laughs> and uh, any opportunity you can to have a four day weekend, I guess you gotta you gotta strike on it. <laughs> what are you doing in the office then? I'm American. That's what. <laughs> 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 that's the that's that's my kind of holiday that like yeah get one yeah. one holiday put the next day off that sounds uh right up my straza so um we have one kind of announcement before we kind of get into uh into the rundown we've we haven't done a rundown for quite a while so i'm glad that we kind of do it and we're gonna boys and girls listening to this we are gonna schedule kind of more of these it's been a mental start to the year but i think we're gonna pick this up um from now on dustin are we not yeah, I think so. It's still, there's been no slowdown in news and voice first. So we've got a lot to catch up on. Today is going to be an exciting one, talking about some news on the Google front. And this summer, I think there's going to be a lot to discuss as well. Yeah, I think that, I know there's been a lot of kind of talk and a lot of headlines about Google Assistant and wrote a couple of articles myself on on VOX World um, about the features that have been released and stuff like that. So a few people listening to this might be thinking, well, Google I.O. was a few weeks back, what we're doing talking about it now. But the fact of the matter is there was so much announced there that kind of spells out the what could be the future of Google Assistant and a few interesting uh, interesting announcements as well. So we'll kind of we'll kind of jump into a bit of detail on that. But first, drum roll. We're going to meet Dustin, finally. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of the implications of that. That's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> Kane, I'm going to be coming to London. Uh, my my company, Algolio, we're throwing a few voice-related events. We did our first dry run in Austin a couple weeks ago, and now we've got one coming up in London, June 20th. That's a Thursday. And then June 25th in San Francisco and June 27th in Seattle. Uh, so we'll include the links in the show notes uh, for the sign up. But the view is that we are going to be speaking about what we at Algolia have learned about adding search and discovery to voice applications. Uh, we've been working on it for quite a while. We work with some very interesting companies like Weight Watchers and PR, uh, some people who are doing some interesting things in the voice space. So we're going to go chat about that. And also, as a nice bonus, I believe the first 20 people that show up each night is going to get a free copy of my book uh, when it comes out at the end of the month. So if it wasn't benefit enough to meet me in the flesh uh, and meet Kane in the flesh in the London event, you'll also get a copy of that book to take home with you, along with some hors d'oeuvres and drinks and a nice conversation. Cool. Yeah, that sounds good. That then. So I think I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to try and get in first in line then for a, a, si- a signed, signed copy of the book. I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can do. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. I'm looking forward to to meeting some of our listeners as well. I hope. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. Is it evening or afternoon or what? 
it's late afternoon, early evening. Uh, it's an excuse to get out of work a little early. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Nice one. Yeah, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. And do pop along to see uh, to see Dustin Algolia, and I'll be there as well. So it'll be yeah, it'll be the first uniting of of me and Dustin. I'm gonna get it on video. Wait. I'm gonna get that on video as well. I think. <laughs> Classic. Uh, and you were at IO as well, weren't you? A few few weeks back. I was. I still have the sunburn to prove it. It's funny they they Google I/O has been known for a lot of years for being a place where they give away ridiculous amounts of stuff. I think a few years back you could get uh, I think three flagship phones, perhaps, or maybe you had the, your choice of one of flagship phones. But the idea, the point was that you you got a lot of stuff, and they've tampered that down a little bit. And this year they gave us a water bottle and sunscreen. And I didn't use the sunscreen, much to my chagrin. Uh, so I got a lot of sun, but also a lot of opportunity to see what's going on at, uh, at Google on the assistant side, on their natural language processing side as well. And I saw that, Kane, you wrote a blog post as well on some of the things that you noticed from afar. Yeah, I, I wrote a couple, actually. Um, I was watching it on YouTube. It was quite good because I've started watching YouTube on the telly a bit more. If I'm feeding feeding the baby and stuff like that, and um, it just popped up. I didn't I didn't realise it would be broadcast, but it popped up literally as soon as I went on YouTube. I come up saying Google I/O, and the second I clicked to watch it on YouTube, it was literally the start of the kind of Google Assistant stuff and the, you know the google isn't keynote so I, I missed the first kind of like 10 seconds um talking about duplex for the web and stuff like that which we'll probably get into um but yeah i caught the whole kind of first sort of keynote and then throughout the next few days i was just dipping in and out and, and watching all most most if not all of the google assistant stuff so yeah it was it looked really good yeah and for those who didn't attend one of the nice things about it is that they put i believe all of the sessions up online so you can go back now and you can see this year, last year, the year before, what exactly everyone was talking about, what they were talking about from the Google perspective. Because there was not just the product announcements, but there were also best practices and what Google has learned with their partners and, and themselves internally building for the assistant platform. Mm. And they also had a good... Um... So if you go on to the um, I.O., they made like a microsite kind of thing for it, and they had literally, they had every kind of stage had an agenda. And when you look through the agenda, you can click on the agenda and then go straight to YouTube to watch it live. It's honestly, the way they did it was absolutely fantastic. Um, but what what were some of the things that, that kind of impressed you most on, on the Google Assistant front, or what was the things that you kind of, your key sort of takeaways from it? I think there was a lot. The first thing that I'll mention, because it's not actually assistant related, but it might have some implications for assistant down the line, is some of the stuff they're doing for accessibility related to ASR, automatic speech recognition. They showed off a few different things. One of them was an app that you can use today where you can use it to live transcribe. And so you put it in front of someone and maybe you're, you have difficulties hearing. That could be one use case for it. Or the thing that I'm really excited about is, you know, I live in a country where it's not my native language. And so sometimes there might be some difficulty understanding the person on the other side. So could potentially send my phone in front of them and say, speak, and then I can see what they're saying and, and read it along as they speak it. 
they've gone beyond that. They've gone beyond that where I believe it might be only on Pixel phones right now. And I know it's only in English, but it will actually transcribe anything on your phone, any kind of audio that's coming out on your phone. <laughs> so, okay, in those YouTube videos that you're watching, you know, I started watching a lot of YouTube Mario Maker run throughs and things like that. And I don't have to have the sound on it anymore. I could have it on my phone and it, it could provide the transcription. Or if someone wants to follow along with our podcast, but they're in class, probably not the best idea for them to do that. But uh, nonetheless, they could turn that on and they could have transcriptions without us doing anything at all because Google is doing all of that on the phone. Wow. Yeah. And then even beyond that, this is the thing that just absolutely blew my mind is the fact that it can also handle phone calls too. So they've set it up. I don't know if this is released yet, but they showed it in action where if somebody were to call and the other person on the other end of the line is deaf or doesn't understand the language very well, it will do the transcription of that phone call. And also the person can respond with text and then it will speak to the person on the other end of the line. So similar to duplex a little bit, I think, but it's more human driven. And it really opens up this possibility for more people just to interact with the world, more people to really understand what's going on around them. And you can imagine that that automatic speech recognition capability and some of the predictive text and, and all the things that's going on there will also be coming to the assistant side too, if it isn't already in there. Hmm. How how good is the automatic speech recognition side of things? Because <clears throat> I think, I got asked by somebody the other day about sort of like dictation software and stuff. They do a lot of user research and they wanted to take all of the recordings from the user research they do, transcribe all of the audio into some text. So then they've got a record of what's kind of said. And this is one of the reasons why we don't have subscript, um, sorry, transcriptions on every podcast episode is simply because I use Descript uh, to get the transcription. And more often than not, you get the transcription and it's like an hour's worth of audio, but the transcription isn't, it's not good enough to just publish and it takes a lot of cleaning up. So the, the time it takes to clean up is often longer than it takes me to edit the podcast. So that's why we don't tend to have transcriptions. And I, I use uh, Siri to transcribe things like text messages and Evernote notes. That sometimes takes quite a bit of cleaning up. And I've also now started using Otter, which is another app. I don't know if you've come across that. And essentially, that's just like a dictation app. But while you're dictating, it transcribes everything. That's pretty good. It's probably better than the, the series built-in mic, better than Descript. Um, but still can, it still does take a bit of cleaning up. So is that kind of... Have, have they done anything... I know that what you're saying in terms of the stuff they've built sounds fantastic. Being able to transcribe audio without it coming out of a speaker and back through a mic, like internalized audio is absolutely amazing. But in terms of the quality of what it transcribes, is there any indication that that was anything better than what's currently out there? It seemed like it. It certainly did. It's it's never going to be perfect, right? We're not perfect when we when we listen to each other. And computers are already better than us at it. Uh, computers can already understand better than we can. What they're missing out on is that human element of going, oh, actually, no, that didn't make any sense, and being able to go back and, and do that. Although you do notice that as well with some of the transcription where the in-between transcript, the sort of provisional transcript, will then be edited as it goes on, where you 
where the computer says, oh, okay, I understand now that that actually refers to something else. So it looks like it is going to be much better. Is it going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Mm. Is it going to be better than not being able to hear someone on the other end of the line? Absolutely. Mm. Real-time transcriptions as well, is it's less important to be accurate, isn't it? You know, you the, the, go back into the early 90s and you had kind of like, you, what was it called on telly where you used to be able to put the subtitles on telly and it just used to come up, didn't it? And every now and then there'd be a mistake on that, but it didn't matter because in the moment you'd recognise the words before it and after it and you can pick it up. If it's a phone call, if it's somebody transcribing from a from a second language or whatever, in the moment to understand what they're saying, it's not quite as important. I suppose it's more important when you need to produce a finished product at the end of it, isn't it? Yeah, I would say so, and it depends the level of polish as well. If we, I think if we were to put those transcripts that you're doing through Descript, if we were run through through AWS uh, Transcribe, people would understand what we're talking about. It would probably take them out of the moment a little bit here and there, where they go, uh, "Is that right?" or "I don't really understand what that is," but the understanding is there. So there's a ways to go before it's perfect. Can we understand each other? Yeah, we can. Mm-hmm. And the the things that they're doing with the ASR, the most amazing thing to me, and this is, you have this in our notes for the show, and I think it was amazing for everyone, was the on-device transcription. Mm-hmm. They've gotten this down to half a gigabyte. You you can go on web pages that are larger than half a gigabyte <laughs> these days. And it's down from 100 gigabytes, apparently. So it used to take 100 gigabytes worth of computing power or memory or what have you to to process the the kind of AI side of of the assistant in terms of understanding what you're saying, transcribing that to to, to kind of text and then uh, performing the action. But yeah, now having it on the actual device, it's difficult because if you see, I'll put the link to the article that I kind of wrote um, in the show notes because I've, I've put all of the little snippets from the talks I've put all the little snippets underneath so you can see it in action. Um, but the speed at which the assistant now runs on what will be the Pixel 4, I think, when it comes out at the end of the year, is absolutely frightening. It's literally, like, just immediate. It's ridiculous. It really is. And I can't recall exactly what book I read this in. I think it might be How We Speak or Why We Speak, but... It was all about how humans learn to speak and uh, ultimately how we speak as well. And one of the things that I really took away from that was the need for reduced latency when it comes to ASR and for, for the fulfillment side of it as well. Because when we respond to something as humans, we respond nearly right away. It depends on the language. In fact, Japanese... I believe is one of the languages where there's the least amount of time between partners responding to each other. I think it's it's nearly non-existent for, for Japanese, whereas English, it's a little bit longer, but for all of them, it's nearly nothing. It's almost unrecognizable. And at the point where it becomes recognizable, which I think is at about the 100 millisecond mark, uh, something that's so quick you w- would barely even register, still it registers in our mind because we're so used to that response. And if we're taking more than 100 milliseconds, it signals to our partner that we're uncomfortable about something. 
that you've just asked me essentially a yes or no question probably. And I want to say no, but I'm feeling a little uncomfortable about it. So that latency, you know, we do understand that we are speaking with computers and not with humans, but nonetheless, we do bring thousands upon thousands of years of evolutionary baggage to our conversations with computers. It's not so easy for us to just go, okay, well, I'm speaking with a computer. And even more, that reduced latency of being on device just opens up so much more capabilities. I think that's what everyone was really excited about where I could say, okay, do this, now do this, now do this, now do this. And I'm not waiting for that response to come back. Just the the magic of them being able to do that, plus the just the intelligence of being able to do some of the the neural network processing on the device and then send that off to be aggregated with everyone's data. It's it's mind blowing. It's it is the only way to phrase it. And you look at it and you go, okay, well, what's Siri going to do to catch up? What's what's Amazon doing to catch up? Google is in a lot of ways just so far ahead on this type of technology. Mm. There was a, there was a report, uh, a Vo- I can't remember what it was called now, it was something like the Voice Assistant Report or something that Microsoft put together and released uh, a few weeks back. And it was saying that the two, the two most popular assistants are Siri and Google Assistant, both kind of neck and neck at 36%. Um, and it's not surprising that Google Assistant now is is kind of you know, in terms of assistant usage, seemingly passing Alexa. I mean, the amount of times that, and to be honest, this may be down to to third party skill developers. I'm not sure, but the amount of times that you'll be using something or a skill within Alexa, and you'll say something, and that light just spins and hangs, and it's like it's it's frustrating. You know what I mean? Whereas that Google Assistant example, having the kind of AI on the device, it's like. It's yeah. So for for those that haven't seen it, essentially the 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 lady that does the demonstration. She has a phone up, and she'll say open calendar, and within a split second the calendar's open. Then she'll say what's the weather, and immediately somebody the assistant reads back the weather, and and it also rather than just actually doing stuff on the device pretty quickly, it also you can get into different apps. So, for example, one of the things you said was search for John Legend on Twitter, and it opened up Twitter at John Legend's profile immediately. That ability to dip into an app to get to a certain point in an app rather than just starting the app from the beginning, that's something that's fairly unique as well that I haven't seen uh, from any other assistant. Yeah, I seem to recall there being some assistant Android connection for a bit, but at I.O. they certainly announced some expansion of that. And the one of the nice things about I.O., but also one of the frustrating things about I.O. is compared to, say, AWS reInvent, the things that they're telling you, the things that they're announcing at I.O. are things that you're going to be able to do in three months or six months or later. And so we don't have access to all of this, but, but certainly the, the idea that this is on the phone is fantastic. The idea that this could be on a Google Home itself is also pretty fantastic because they also announced... I don't know how it's going to work in practice, but I, they also announced some smart home capability, which I believe will work without a network connection, where you have to be connected to the devices in the home, but you may not have to reach out to the internet. <laughs> and this doesn't happen often, right? But occasionally, 
your internet will go out and you just can't connect to it for whatever reason. And all of a sudden you can't, you can't turn your lights on and off. Uh, there's, there's no real point to it other than the fact that setting up these networks internally in the house are difficult and the ASR has to be difficult or even asking what time it is. Honestly, you can't even ask what time it is right now on Alexa or on the assistant, unless you're connected to the internet, Mm. you should be able to, you should be able to do that. I understand they want to keep the cost down, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, if they can bring this to these devices, it's going to be, it's going to be really great. And it's going to be a big benefit to everyone. And now Kane, so you're, you're an iPhone user at the moment. Is that right? (laughs) I am. Yeah. Has this convinced you to make a change? At the end of that, one of the articles that I wrote, that was what I've signed off with, is that I, I, I am honestly debating when the Pixel 4 comes out, that's round about the time when my contract expires for my current phone, and I am definitely considering going with a Pixel, to be honest, because it's, it. I mean, I persevere with Siri. I've got an Apple Watch, the Apple phone, the iMac, your MacBook Pro, iPad Pro, you know, I'm well and truly in that ecosystem 110% and to be fair I love the operating system you know I, I, I've got a surface for work and it's just it's nowhere near as slick it's really cumbersome it does my head in um, but and, and I love the iPhone I love I love navigating on the iPhone and I, I like the operating system on the iPhone but now that I'm using voice a lot more I'm persevering with Siri persevering simply because it's there and it's it's closest to me do you know what i mean but it is frustrating <laughs> it's just so frustrating and the capabilities that it seems as though you mentioned you're right that it's you know half of this stuff's not going to be available um until the new pixel comes out in probably october november time um but it looks as it, the, the thing that i really like about it and what i would really like to get to the point is my phone's down here now in front of me if I just want to quickly do something, I need to pick it up and do something because I know that Siri can't do half the stuff I want to do. Whereas that example that they gave at I.O., someone just held the phone and they were navigating through the phone with the voice far quicker than you could tap around it. And I think if it, if it, if it is that good, if it is that quick and you can get into the apps to do certain functions, then, yeah, I think I, w- I, think I would probably ditch an iPhone and, and, and go for a Pixel. Oh wow! I mean, we we could probably spend a whole whole episode talking about uh, the Google Android ecosystem versus iOS. I I still want to convince you that a Surface is better. I I love mine, yeah. but that's that's another show for another time. It's interesting though. The most interesting thing is that this really is a platform play. At the ultimately, it wasn't just assistant. It was assistant integrated in auto, integrated into Waze, integrated into Nest. All of these things are Google trying to expand where assistance available in a way that Alexa is trying to do as well. Alexa's in devices and and TVs and, and auto as well, but they don't have the phone capability. Any type of phone play that they want to do is either going to be releasing their own phone again, which I had a, I had an Amazon phone. It was uh, not something I think I will probably go back to. Uh, or, or piggyback on these devices that are available right now. And Google just seems very well positioned to do that. And further, another interesting thing to me was at IO, they kept talking about NBU, 
which is the next billion users. Mm. How can Assistant reach the next billion people who can access it? And they showed off some some very interesting things, including some integration with KaiOS. And KaiOS is not something that I think most people in the West know about, but it's Google's essentially stripped down OS. It's on feature phones. So it's phones that have a screen, but it, I believe most, if not all of them, don't even have a touchscreen. They've got a keypad, but they also have Assistant built into it as well. So you're going to see Android, or sorry, not Android, but Assistant go both up market, moving into auto, moving into these high-end phones, but also go in the emerging markets as well, where there's a billion plus people who are ready to start working with it, a billion plus people who maybe can't even read. Mm. Uh, not all of those billion people, of course, but there is a large market out there who who can't read and so are shut off from the web. And voice can be something where they can they, they can interact with it pretty easily. Mm. You mean, yeah, and that's the other thing, isn't it? It's been shut off from, from the web or, for, or certainly shut off from high-speed internet. Being able to just use that on a on a feature phone is, you know, the, it's really really interesting sort of play. And the other thing that you kind of touched on is that, in terms of integrating the services that they have, so Amazon, that most of the Alexa is, is most of Alexa's kind of distribution is through devices, isn't it? Devices that they've created, so it's Echo devices, um, the Echo shows and stuff like that. Yes, they've got AVS Alexa voice service, which makes that you know manufacturers can put it into TVs and stuff like that, which they're starting to do. But it seems as though most of most of the Alexa kind of Alexa everywhere is all about getting it into devices, whereas. Google have got both hardware and software, so they've got the devices on the phones, you know, the phones are in over a billion, um, I'm sure there's over a billion Android users, isn't there? Um, and then they've got the, the smart speaker devices, but what they've also got, which they've started to sort of, you start to see it kind of merging together is all of the software, Gmail, Maps, YouTube, you know, all of this search, all of this software that they've got, and they're, they're kind of starting to weave the assistant into that software, aren't they? So you see that I think there was something um, announced last week or the week before where Google Shopping has has got an integration with Google Assistant, but that's also now being spread into YouTube. So I don't know if it's I don't know if it's live at the moment, but I don't know if it's been tested in America or something like that. But eventually, what what they're kind of suggesting is that in the next few months, you'll be able to basically order a product via Google Shopping through Google Assistant on YouTube. <laughs> so they they weaving together all of their software and making the assistant be the thing that hangs it all together, which I think is unstoppable. Yeah, and I've heard we've heard a lot of discussion of. What's the future of advertising? What's the future of Google? Uh, Google makes all of their money on advertising, uh, functionally all their money on advertising. And when those search results go away, what? how does that work? But when you see Google trying to pull you into the ecosystem and, and giving you a benefit to do it as well, it's not just you do this and you don't get a benefit. Uh, you can argue about the privacy, you can argue about all that, but ultimately, and this is something we saw with Duplex for Web, where you booked travel and you want to now book a car, an assistant can do that for you on the web because it has your email, it has your travel. And it's something where I've recently moved 
my email away from, I had it on Google, Google apps and I moved it to Fastmail, and you, you definitely lose some of those benefits. You lose those automatic travel recommendations. You lose all of that. And yeah, potentially in the future with voice, there's going to be less advertising, but with these companies trying to get more and more data from you and being able to through understanding your day-to-day interactions, understanding your trip planning, understanding all that, all that advertising is going to be a lot more relevant. And so you're not going to, as an advertiser, waste your time, waste your money with maybe possibly relevant text ads on a query, but you're going to know exactly, okay, well, this person is visiting Chicago and they need a car. So we know that they're already highly qualified. Mm, yeah. I think that's that's the that's where people, I think, get a little bit caught up a little bit in terms of how, how trying to talk about Google as in how are Google going to monetize Google Assistant if they make all the money from advertising how they're going to monetize Google Assistant but I think what you're kind of touching on there is that they don't have to monetize the assistant if that if the assistant is feeding more contextual data to the rest of the Google ecosystem then that's just more data for advertisers to use in those other environments isn't it this Google search isn't going to go away YouTube's not going anywhere anytime soon, you know. So all the places where it currently serves ads, if you can put more contextual data into those environments, you can probably even charge more for ads because, as you said, if you know that someone's a qualified lead who is definitely going to Chicago and they do need a car, then you're going to pay more for that advert, aren't you? (laughs) Simple as that. Yeah, it's interesting because this butts up a lot of uh, against this privacy movement that is really taken hold of it recently with Amazon just announcing that you can do what you've always done and ask Alexa to delete the audio recordings of what you said, but you can do it through your voice now. Mm-hmm. And Google at IO as well show that they're integrating incognito mode into a lot of their products. So now I believe in YouTube, if you search for something in maps, if you search for something, you can actually go in incognito mode inside those individual products as well, and it's not going to record it. The tension there is always going to be, for a lot of people, you are going to want to, because the assistance, that ecosystem, it does make things a lot easier for you if it has more data. Uh, And so I think we're going to see that balance. We're going to see Google increasingly rolling out things that are pretty helpful, uh, they're going to be personalized. They're going to be all that. And there's a benefit as well. And I think this is something that you have down as a note, which is the personal references that they mentioned as well. Mm. Yeah, so the, the, they were talking about making the assistant more personal. And, and one of the things that the example that they gave was like, let's say, for example, if me and you uh, lived in the same house, you have, we have one Google device maybe. If I ask it for a recipe, it might give me a recipe based on what I'd previously searched for or one that I'd previously cooked. So let's say I say, suggest me a recipe, it'll say, well, here's some mac and cheese or whatever. And then if you ask it the same question based on either your voice or what have you, it will then look at what you've previously searched for and what you've previously done. It might suggest you a lamb curry or something like that. I don't know. <clears throat> so that's kind of a way of getting it a little bit more personal. And the other thing you can do, which takes, it sounds like it takes a little bit of setting up and the, the demo kind of, the demo was really impressive, but I think there's a lot of manual configuration to get this next bit set up, which is that, for example, you could just say, um, take me to mum's house 
and it would just direct you to your mum's house. But in order to get to that point, you need to go into the app, tell tell it who your mum is, where your mum lives, what your mum's phone number is and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it is making moves to get to a point where it's more contextual and more aware, more personalised to the individual. Yeah, it's... It, I, I don't know how it's going to work in practice, but uh, that really reduces the amount of steps that you need uh, to, to provide. Mm-hmm. Of course, you probably know how to get to mom's house already, but... <laughs> Uh, if you don't, yeah, that's going to be incredibly useful. Uh, there were a, a number of interesting releases for creators too. We've talked a lot about the consumer-facing side of it, but there was some very, very interesting things for creators. I think the one that got the most attention from the developers with whom I spoke was the interactive canvas side of it. Mm. Yeah, so that's the that's essentially the Google equivalent of Alexa presentation language. It is the Google equivalent, but with a very different point of view. The Alexa presentation language is all around providing objects. You're essentially, you are using a different language. It is the Alexa presentation language. With interactive Canvas, you're using web technologies. You're using HTML, you're using CSS, you're using JavaScript. Not all of it, you do, you are limited a bit, but the list of things that you cannot do inside interactive canvas is actually quite small. And I think, and this is what I've heard from a lot of the people with whom I spoke as well. This is huge. This is huge. If I am choosing between the two, I'm going to choose the one that where I already have the skill set for it. And you mentioned yourself as well, Ken. You don't necessarily consider yourself a developer, but you do have some of that skill set already. You have mm-hmm. to work on the web. Mm-hmm. And so for you it's going to be an easier jump in there than perhaps learning something from scratch with APL. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I think that um, for people who have even some familiarity with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, even being able to, if you can't create and build something with the interactive canvas, let's say you you outsource something to an agency, they create you an action, they've got the the uh, you know a lot of display stuff going on using the interactive canvas, then if you're familiar with the language at least, you can maintain it yourself. You can change it, you can update it, you can switch things around, you know. So it's it's it what they've managed to do, and it's only available now, I think, in beta purely for games. So it's not something that you can use for absolutely everything, but obviously that you'll be starting slow with it. So you can use it for games. Um, but I think what what's been quite kind of smart there is, whereas um, Assistant and Alexa, they've kind of used existing technologies to create the voice applications themselves, you know, JavaScript, Node.js and stuff. Um, so I think Google, it's very clever in terms of what they've done to, to try and stick along that kind of, along those lines, isn't it? And make things, you know, because the 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 number of Alexa skills that have um, display kind of capability, still not actually that much. And and of the ones that do have it, from the, from the testing that I've kind of been doing, a lot of them would just put an image up and that'll kind of pretty much be it. The TV guide is the best, by far the best example of a multimodal skill with a screen that I've ever seen because it's not just, it plays videos, you can scroll along and you can click on stuff and, you know, or you can totally just use your voice. It's fantastic, but by far and away it's the best example and probably the only example that's that good. And I th- that might be the learning curve that kind of prevents that. So this might kind of make it, um, make the multimodal aspect of the home hub a lot easier for people to get on with. 
Yeah, I'm really curious why they limited it to games at first. I imagine that they want to to start small and see what people are going to do with it, but it seems a bit of an arbitrary decision there. You are, I think, you are seeing already, you are seeing more screen-based interactions. You have the Echo Show 5, I believe it's called, that Mm -hmm. was released or announced this week on the Alexa side. Last year at I.O., there was discussion of bringing the assistant to the TV through Chromecast. I don't know if that ever ended up happening, what happened with that, if that's still on track, not sure. But you also have the Google Home Hub, the Google Home Hub Max, uh, which is apparently called the Google Nest Hub and Nest Hub Max, but I refuse to do it. <laughs> I refuse to call it. Uh, and uh, I'll rag on them a little bit, but you actually notice that I.O., even some of the Google employees uh, just couldn't, either couldn't bring themselves or just couldn't recall, oh, we have to call it the Google Nest Hub Max now. Mm. Uh, but you have more of those those screen-based devices too. It's it's pretty exciting. I think I think the interactive canvas is going to be pretty fun. I think you're going to see some really interesting things. And even at I/O, you saw some things that you go, "Oh wow, this could be this could be really nice. This could really open up a lot of doors, a lot of entertainment possibilities, a lot of uh, just useful possibilities as well." Do you think it was? Do you think they've started out rolling that out in games in an effort to try and get people to build more games? Because games are obviously massively popular on Alexa, but whenever you speak and hear about Google Assistant, I mean, everything we've spoke about so far has all been about threading together the existing infrastructure, the existing software. You know, being more kind of u- like utility based, getting into apps, getting stuff done, and that's that was actually they've changed their kind of mantra, haven't they, from making the world's information more accessible to something along the lines of helping people get stuff done. So the the, the positioning of of the assistant is very much around get stuff done. I think the probably the rebrand in terms of the calling it Nest and all that I think is probably a way of trying to integrate the assistant into the home make it the kind of hub of the smart home if you like I still I'm right I'm with you I don't I can't call it nest hub at all but um but I can I can kind of understand how they might want to strengthen their position in the home and and in the smart home I wonder whether or not it it is a a play to try and get people to create more games because they might see that as an opportunity because it does seem counterintuitive to what the rest of the assistant position is doesn't it yeah it's, it's possible that's a good point I would still see it, though, as if you want more games, there's better levers to do that than to shut off something to the rest. Because I don't see there being a lot of developers who will say, oh, I was thinking of building a Bitcoin price action, but I'm going to build a game now because I can use Interactive (laughs) Canvas. And if they were, that's not the kind of game you want anyway. You want game developers to build games. You want get people who know game mechanics. You want, ideally, if you're Google, you want brands to build games. You want game studios to build games. So I, I don't quite understand that. I'm sure they have their reason. But for now, absolutely, that's in beta, and it is only available for games. They did announce a few other things that I found were interesting for builders, and one that I'm actually most excited about, but almost no one's mentioning which is mini apps did you check this out kane is this the same as the kind of app actions or is this something different this is something different the mini apps 
are assistant in search results. Okay. So, for example, if I were to search for uh, courses on Coursera, I believe is the example they gave, or Python uh, from Coursera, you would actually see a miniature app inside the search results that you could interact with. Uh, or maybe you did um, home loan rates, home loan rates, or something like that. You could maybe have a loan calculator inside the search. So it's essentially, it's very similar to those actions that you see or those uh, those capabilities that you see now on Google search that Google has built. For example, if you search for a uh, number of feet in a meter, Mm-hmm. And you see that you've got the sort of the translation between those two or uh, goodbye in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And you can translate that directly mm-hmm. from within currency there. Currency calculators and stuff like that. Yeah, currency calculators, exactly. You have all those in there. They're opening this up to developers now to build. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this will also, I believe, integrate with Assistant as well. So you're going to be in search. You're going to be an Assistant too so that there is that level of interactivity and you can either use this to do most of the actions within the search results itself, or you can do it just as a beginning step before you send someone to your own website or app. So you've got the, the user experience benefits of you're not leaving search. The perhaps cynical view is Google wants most of that traffic to stay on, on the search results. But as a user, I'm pretty excited about it. As a developer, I'm pretty excited about it as well because it would help help me as a brand stand out a little bit more. But also, it could potentially be more powerful for users as well to directly integrate or directly interact with your service. Mm, that's interesting. I thought when you first mentioned mini apps and 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 search results i thought what you were saying there is that if you search for something on google like um let's say you search on google for average house price in paris i thought that one of the search results would actually be an action that when you click on it it would open up google assistant into the action a bit like you get a skill in the search results on amazon sometimes but what you're actually saying there is that this is the ability for developers to be able to specifically create those little widgets that you see appear in search results. Yes, and those integrate with with Assistant as well. So I'm still a little fuzzy on on how the integration will be on the Assistant side, but it will interact with both of those. So hopefully what you'll see is more crossover there. The only thing, the only thing to keep in mind and it's not it makes it maybe a little bit less valuable for brands but i think a lot more valuable or a lot less noisy for users is that i believe these are only going to be appearing on branded terms so you can't go in there and create a mini app for best credit card rates or mesothelioma lawyer or something like that Mm. it has to be associated with your brand name okay and what, what all the conversations we've had about kind of like voice search and stuff like that, you know, we spoke to um, we spoke to John Campbell about it. We spoke to Dr. Pete from Moz about it. And both of those were saying that 
I know you're saying there in terms of lost traffic and Google potentially trying to take up um, web traffic by giving people the answers in the search results, but um, from what we've kind of seen and spoke about, most of the time it, it has a net benefit to the company if you end up being the thing that is suggested up the top there, um, whether it's you know a recipe that's got the bullet point recipe, um, so technically you could cook the recipe without going to the website, but it tends to drive more traffic, so it'd be interesting whether this, this has the kind of the same effect. Another, another thing that's similar to, to not similar but it's on the same kind of lines in terms of bringing the web closer to um, assistant is that they also um, you know the schema.org markup so if you use schema.org markup on your website for example if you have recipes or um, a podcast or you know something like that you can mark up your website so that it will display differently on a search result, so uh, for example, you could have um, the ones that they just released was um, FAQs and how-tos. So if you mark up your website using schema.org, you've got an FAQs page, you use this schema, you mark up your FAQs with that, then when someone asks a question on Google, the search result would essentially pull out those questions and answers and display them in the search result with a little toggle thing so people can uh, can access them. The, the side effect of doing that, not only do you get yourself a better position on search, but also all of those, the how-to and the FAQ, is also displayed on the Google Home, or Google Nest, or however you want to call it these days, it's also displayed on the Google Home Hub as well, in a, yeah, na- in a native way. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, with the schema.org is one, but also they have templates now where you can create a Google Sheets with all the different steps as well. Or, uh, and I don't recall exactly how you do this, but I'm sure there's uh, directions online. YouTube videos too. So you can connect it to your YouTube videos. You can just create a Google Sheets uh, if you don't necessarily have a website for it. So you see Google further taking advantage of their strength as a search company to be able to say, okay, well, you've got all this data already. We're crawling this data already. Just tell us how to organize it. Mm. Yeah, the YouTube one's a really interesting one. Again, that's just for how-tos at the minute. But essentially, I had a quick play around. um, And essentially what it is is... um, you go to the uh, actions on Google Console. You open up the template. Um, you kind of, you know, get into the configuration of the template. Essentially, you just give it a link, I think, to your YouTube video, and then it, it will populate the Google Sheet. Does it populate it yourself, or do they give you a template Google Sheet? I can't remember now. But essentially, you need to timestamp the sheet and then put the transcription of the video into the sheet. And essentially, what it will do is it'll use the timestamp and the text that you provide in the Google Sheet to display in on the screen on the Google Home Hub. Meanwhile, while it displays that and reads the text back that you've said, it plays the video next to it, um, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's not just a transcription. It's easy for for people to navigate through it as well. So if they know the first couple of steps, they don't need to, to sit through it. They can just say next step, next step, last step, first step. Uh, and so you still have that interactivity and it's not just a video that's playing. Mm. Did you come across, did you notice this, that they announced kind of inadvertently and didn't really make a big song and dance about it, but they did announce that Google Assistant has over 1 million actions did they did they announce that? Yeah, I've, I've wrote a piece. 
I wrote a piece about that as well. I'll put that in the show notes. They, they, it was really, it was really, they, they skipped over it. Basically, I can't remember her name, but somebody was presenting, and they were talking about, as you were saying, about the one billion users and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and on this slide, there was three things on the slide, and one of them in the middle was over a million actions. So I was thinking, what the hell are they classing as an action then? Because Alexa's been going for two years longer, and it's got about eighty thousand skills. So. Uh, well, this is my suspicion, and this, I'd be interested to get your kind of thoughts on it. What I think's happening is all this stuff around schema.org markup and all of these templates that they have and indexing search results into um, Google, indexing podcasts into the Google Assistant, indexing YouTube videos, I suspect that for every slight variant on, a, on something... That, so, for example, you ask Google to play a YouTube video on Google Assistant. I think they're classing that as an action. And then you search for a how-to tutorial and they bring you back that defined how-to tutorial. I think they're classing that as an action as well. I think actions for Google are going beyond the purpose-built third-party applications. It's possible. It's it's certainly possible. Google has always been a little weird with her naming in that front. Uh, what exactly is an action on Google Assistant? You commonly, I think, in, in parlance, hear it referred to as an app, a voice application. If you go on the documentation though, an action is very clearly an intent matched to a fulfillment. And so oh, if you okay. think of it that way, it expands it pretty rapidly. And then you think about first party as well. I, I don't remember the stat, if it was first party and third party, uh, maybe they're including the schema.org style markup as well. Uh, and so you can see it expanding pretty quickly. Is it a true one-to-one -one comparison to Alexa skills? Absolutely not. No. Uh, but ultimately, these numbers get thrown around. They're interesting, but it's it's how often people use it. Is, is it not? Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. I, I kind of took it as a little bit of, you know, one-upmanship sort of thing between yeah. the rest of the kind of assistants out there and stuff, you know what I mean? Um yeah, it's inter it's it's interesting though. And they also announced like a new Pixel, didn't they? I think the the Pixel three, which um, seems alright, but it seems. Do you do you have a Pixel? You're on Android, aren't you? I am on Android. I use a Galaxy S nine, is what I have. And so yeah, it was a Pixel three A and three A XL, I believe, is what they announced. Where it's uh, it looks like a great phone. If I if I was in the market for a phone and I was on a bit of a budget, I'd absolutely look at it. It's uh, got a, so many assistant and, and voice related things built in the, the camera just looks amazing with a low light camera especially uh, and at $400 or whatever it is yeah you gotta look at it mm, it's a steal isn't it the, the, it was so funny the way they compared the two pictures did you see the nighttime picture kind of advertising where it said oh, yeah. it's, on one side it's got a picture taken with the Google Pixel 3a or something like that and underneath the picture it says Google Picture 3a and then on the other side it just says Phone X and like obviously it's supposed to be an iPhone X or 10 and that picture is really dim and really dark and the, the one taken on the Google picture is really kind of bright and vibrant and stuff like that it's quite a nice little dig but um WWDC, uh, the kind of big kind of Apple developer conference, starts next week, June the third. Are you expecting anything? Are you hoping for anything? I know that you're not an Apple user necessarily, but from a Siri perspective, are you kind of are you thinking anything's going to happen? I have no idea. I really don't. Uh, I know there's been some reports. I saw something on VoiceBot recently about them expanding into 
to new capabilities, but I'm not expecting much. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not hoping for much either. Uh, again, I'm not in the Apple ecosystem. For me, it wouldn't be any bit of a benefit if this happened. And in fact, it would be a detriment having to expand into a new thing. And, and the way Apple works, am I going to have to buy uh, an Apple computer just to work on Siri OS or, or whatever? <laughs> I'm not expecting much. What about you? Uh, I'm hopeful. As I say, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of... <laughs> for better or for worse love it or hate it in the kind of Apple ecosystem at the moment and I'm feeling the pinch of it all the time because you know I still persevere with Siri I say this all the time I persevere with Siri simply because it's usually the thing that's either in my headphones or in my pocket um, but it's and usually any any person any normal person would have completely just given up by now if it wasn't for the fact that we're kind of in this industry and I'm, I use voice as often as I can and starting to use it more and more and more um, if it wasn't for that I would be anywhere near as persistent i'm confident that an average person who doesn't really give a shit about this stuff would be nowhere near as persistent as me but it is starting to get to the point where it is getting frustrating because i'm expecting it now you know google google home i've got one here i've got the echo there i've got them all over the house i use them every day for all kinds of stuff and I'm, I'm up against the limitations of, of them all, to be fair. I'd love to be able to send a, a dictation through Alexa to Evernote. I'd love to be able to just ask Google to read my pocket articles. You know, I'm, I'm up against the limitations of them and, and none more so than, than Siri at the moment. So it, I would love it if they came out and blew me away with the potential for all of these different developers and all these different apps to uh, integrate into Siri, um, similar to the in-app actions that Google kind of launched where you can just mark up your application so that somebody can dip straight into your app with one command right at the right place and crack on. I would love to see something like that. I know they've got shortcuts, but they take too much manual configuration and it's just a freaking headache. And to be honest, they don't actually always work. I've got a couple of shortcuts set up and they don't actually always work. So I'm hopeful. I would love it if they did. Um, but in reality, I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm not necessarily confident. Yeah, I think it's a false game trying to predict Apple. Uh, they, they'll always surprise you. They'll come out with something that just seems completely half-baked and, and you wonder who would ever do that, who would ever buy that. And then it sells millions of, millions of units. Yeah. Uh, so, Apple fans are just, you know, they're just relentless. They'll buy anything. You know what I mean? He, he says with an Apple watch and an iPhone and an iMac. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it definitely seems like, it, again, it seems like they've made missteps lately. I have many developer colleagues and friends who are looking at looking at a Surface Book. They're looking at moving to Linux. They're mo looking to move off of Apple entirely. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it's it's on the margins. Uh, you have people who are moving over to Android because the assistant or because the the camera or whatever. But again, Apple is what the richest or second richest company in the world. You can't count them out. Mm, yeah, I think the, the the only rumor I've heard is that they might be considering releasing a smaller home hub, but uh, not home hub, whatever it is, home pod. That's that's how little I'm bothered about that because it's just I don't even know what it's called. A smaller home pod, I think, is the the only thing I've seen them rumored. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how it's got to the point where um. There was a report, I think, that we mentioned it with David Zbitsky anyway, that he was talking about that report that, that I think Amazon might have done that said that people are having their decisions about what car to buy <clears throat> based on what assistant is available in it. And, and, and that's true 
in the phone world, certainly for me, and I am definitely considering um, providing. And well, I don't say providing it when my contract runs out at the same time because I'm I'm not really bothered. I think I think I'm definitely considering a Pixel Four and ditching the iPhone if that's if that's uh, if it's as good as it looks. Well, this has been this has been immense, Dustin. I think I'm glad that we've had a chance to do it, and we've covered quite a lot of ground there. And I think we got pretty deep into some into some more kind of uh, analysis there than we usually do as well. So that was really good. That yeah, let's do it again sometime soon. Let's do that. And where can people? Where do you know where the venue is for this event on uh, June? June on June twentieth in London, it's still to be determined. Uh, same for twenty fifth and twenty seventh. We'll we'll get it out there soon, but we do have those uh, sign up forms, so people can start signing up now. And then once we know where it is, we'll let you know. It will be somewhere central. Fantastic. So, boys and girls, check out the link in the show notes, and hopefully, we'll see you on June twentieth. Until next time, see you later. <laughs>